You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Joshua chapter 6 is where we'll be in our Bibles tonight. This is a very familiar story. You hear preachers say that sometimes, and, and it's, this is clearly a story most of you are familiar with, I know. Um, I'm going to just read then a few verses uh, picked out of it. This is the story of the children of Israel and the siege of Jericho. And we'll just read a few verses, uh, starting in verse 16 of chapter 6. It says, And it came to pass at the seventh time, when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Look down at chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, on the east of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, and can't you hear how they say this? Uh, let not all the people go up. Right? That's the, the attitude. Let not all the people go up, Joshua, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Sheberim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Tonight I want to preach to you about trap games, the trap game mistakes that we made. And, and if you don't know what trap games are, I'll try to explain it a little bit. But what we have right here with the children of Israel, it's a trap game. In other words, it's something you overlook and you don't realize it could trip you up. So we're going to be talking about trap game mistakes tonight. And I'm going to pray then you can be seated. Father, I love you and I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach. I pray that you would help, to help me, Lord, to be calm in my spirit. And you'd help me to convey what I ought to convey tonight. It's a lot of material, a passage like this, I could preach for weeks on it, God, but I pray that you'd help me just to highlight the things uh, that you want me to say tonight. Lord, hide me behind the cross, help me to say when only the Spirit would have me to, and I pray then that every listener here would be an active listener, and that you would help them to be responsive, both verbally, but also mostly in their hearts, God. Help them 
to, to uh, see where, where maybe this applies to their lives. Lord, we love you and we need your help tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In the spring of my fifth grade school year in Evanston, Wyoming, my dad pastored in Evanston. We moved there in fifth grade when I was in fifth grade. And in the spring of that year, I played Little League Baseball. And many of you, I'm sure, played Little League. And I played for a team called the Phillies. Now, I remember um, one specific game like it was yesterday. Um, the, we were the Phillies and we were praying, playing the, the Braves. And it was early on in the season and we didn't really know what to think of any of the other teams. All we really knew was our team and, and we had a pretty good team that year. So we, we played this team called the Braves and from the very first inning we knew that this was going to be a fun game for the Phillies. First inning, we started hit, we were hitting the ball like crazy. I mean, we were hitting doubles and triples and, and inside the park home runs. And I mean, we were having a grand old time. And by the end of the game, uh, we dominated the Braves. I'm proud to say still some 30 something years later. And I guess what the final score was. You'll never guess it. I'll just give it to you. The final score of the Braves-Phillies game there in my fifth grade year was 45 to 2. And those were, I'm going to call them the good old days. Back when there was no run rule and not everybody got a trophy at the end of the season. The good old days. The Braves had bad pitching and even worse fielding. And I remember myself, I hit a few doubles, a couple of triples. I had an inside the park home run. I had about 10 RBIs. And I thought for sure that day I would be playing in the big leagues someday. That game became legendary. It was the talk of the town. I mean, well, not really. The talk of the school the next day. The, the Phillies players, we all had chest, chest puffed out. We had our big heads. And the Braves players all were in sackcloth and ashes. And, you know, my team, we had a good season. The Phillies, we were good. We had strong pitching. We had good hitting. We had good fielding. And we got better as the season went on. But as we came down to the end of the season... We had one last game. This sounds like a preacher story, but it's true, okay? We had one last game on the calendar, and guess who it was? We all circled it. Guess who we were playing? We were playing the Braves. We were all excited. We, we were excited to get to play them again because of how, how bad we beat them. We were cocky. I remember warm-ups that day, and, and our coach even normally was very strict about how we did warm-ups, but warm-ups were lackadaisical. We were goofing around. We were having a good time. We were not taking it seriously. I mean, it's the Braves. And we beat them 45 to 2 the last time. But something had happened that we didn't know since the last time we played the Braves. See, the, the Braves, um, that defeat really crushed them in many ways. But it motivated them to work harder than they ever had. And we didn't realize it, but all season the Braves were getting better. And we, the Phillies, we were still pretty good, but the Braves were getting better. We were coasting through the season, but they were working hard. Their starting pitcher had gained some confidence. Their bats had gotten better. Their fielding had improved, and they had come together as a team. And it took only one inning that day for us to figure out that this isn't the same Braves team. These weren't the same Braves we'd faced earlier in the season. They jumped to a lead, and by the time we realized we better start playing, it was too late to mount a comeback, and the Braves beat us by two or three runs. 
We lost because we had a letdown. And in the sports world, they call that a trap game. A trap game is a game where you overlook your opponent, maybe because you've already beaten them once and you think they're no good, or it could be because you just played a really tough team and you gave all of your effort and the next week you play a team that's not very good and you think, oh, this is no big deal, and you overlook the team and you end up getting beat. It's a trap game. Well, Joshua 7 is the story of a trap game, and I know it's not a game. I know this is battle. I know lives were being lost. But it's the same mentality. You see, Joshua and the children of Israel, they just won this incredible victory at Jericho. For six days, God had told them to march around the walls one time a day and, and around the walls of this massive city with this great big wall. Look at chapter 6, verse 10. It says, And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then ye shall shout. So they were to walk around the walls once a day for six days, and they weren't allowed to say anything. And I have some children who probably would not have survived those six days. But they weren't allowed to say anything. They had to keep quiet, and they did it. They obeyed. But but then he said, on the last day, when you hear the trumpet blast, then it will go seven times that day, and then everyone will shout. You know the story. I don't have to recount all this. Look at verse 16. It says, And it came to pass at the seventh time, when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. You know what I wanted to preach tonight? Because it'll preach. I, I wanted to preach about shout um, like you've already won. Okay, I think that'd be a good message. Shout like you've already won. Because he was telling them, shout before the victory, before the walls even came down. In other words, be bold. We've already won, folks. And I I want to preach that, but I'm not going to. I'll save it for another time. Look down at verses 20 and 21. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. They obeyed and God gave them a wonderful victory. It's a great story, one of, the, one of the favorites in junior church as kids growing up. This is a great victory, and it, it was a victory that was so good, it became legendary. Look down at verse 27. It says, so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. This was like a 45 to 2 kind of a game right here. This was a game that everybody knew about, everyone was talking about. This was one of those moments, but something happened. See, something happened to them that tends to happen to us as well. See, they had no problem obeying up to the point of victory. But after the victory, after the success, they let their guard down. See, they weren't to take of the spoil of the city. The rest of it was to go to the priests. It's very clear. There was no personal spoil to be taken. But look at chapter 7, verse 1. You know what happens. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan... Achan, the the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. See, before success, before the victory, before that day at Jericho, they they were willing to obey everything. They were willing to say, whatever it is, God, you want us to do. Six days with no noise, we'll do that. On the seventh day, seven times around, on the last time, then we can shout, we'll do it, whatever you want. We'll do it. 
But after the victory is when we tend to let our guard down. After the win is when we tend to relax. See, after, see we do it too, though. We, we obey because we know if we don't obey, we may not enjoy victory. We may not have God's blessings. But after the win, we tend to relax a little bit because the victory is already ours. We're already there. We, we've already experienced, and that's what Achan did. He had no problem being quiet for six days. Think about it. Achan was one of the, the, one of the countless in the, in the army, in, in the nation. He was one of those millions of people walking around the city, keeping himself quiet for six days. He was one of those that walked around seven times and didn't shout till the priest blew the trumpet. He had no problem shouting when the priest, the, the priest blew the trumpet. But once victory was won, he stopped obeying like he had had before and it looks like a different mindset has also taken maybe taken over Joshua as well look at chapter 7 verse 2 and Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai which is beside Beth-Avon and and he just says go and view the country and the men went up and viewed Ai there's something missing in that verse Something that, that is very clear in chapter 6, but we may have no mention of it in chapter 7, is that is before the battle, Joshua never sought the Lord. He never consulted with God. You don't see him going to God. I mean, you think about it. In chapter 6, God gave Joshua some very clear, clear instructions. He gave him very clear counsel. And you would think that Joshua would be like, okay, coach, you know, think about if you're a coach or you're a player and your coach runs a really good play. And you're like, okay, that play worked to perfection. Coach, that was an awesome play. And, and we, we just scored. So, okay, now tell us what play to run next. But no, Joshua's almost like he's got the ball and the, the, the clock is running out and he waves off the coach and says, no, I got this one. He, he doesn't go back to God. And I'm not saying that Joshua was that willfully arrogant about it. But when you try to operate in your strength and not God's, it is pride. He doesn't even ask for God's for God for his help. And so in verse 3, it says, look what it says. They returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. The men come back and say, We don't even need the whole army. Joshua, don't even, don't even send the whole army. The town of Ai has one stop sign. That's how small it is. They say, I mean, they don't even have a Walmart, Okay. They still have three subways like every small town, it seems like these days. But it's too small. I mean, just send a few. This is a trap game. Look at verse 4. So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men. For they chased, think about how humiliating this is. For they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. I mean, just before this, they won 45 to 2. But now they're overlooking their opponent. They're riding an emotional high. God, but God had brought great victory, but after the big success, they let their guard down. See, here's their problem. Joshua and Israel, they thought yesterday's victory guaranteed today's success. They thought, well, yesterday's victory is going to guarantee victory today, but that's not how it works. See, if we don't do things God's way, it guarantees failure, not success. And here's the thing. 
We just got done with an emotion, in my opinion, an emotional high, at least it was for me. A great meeting, all about missions. God was good to us last week. I mean, a week and a half ago, we took a missions offering, and that missions offering came in at about $6,000. And I want to just say to you, church, thank you. Praise the Lord. And, and you think, well, that's a good amount, but you think uh, just a month ago, we had a church planning conference, and from the pockets of Eastside Baptist Church members, we took in about $6,000. So we're looking at two months of, of giving generously by God's people. I believe that God's been moving in our church regarding sacrificial giving to the work of God. It's obvious. He brought us some great, and this, I didn't even remember Brother Ruckman was going to be here tonight, but he brought us some great missionaries last week. The Thomases and the Crabtrees, great missionaries. I love the interaction between Brother Thomas and Brother Crabtree. It was just, it was just fun. I mean, it was a blessing and it was just a reminder. I was talking to Wade and he, was, he just said it's a reminder that it's okay to have fun and serve God and, and be involved in God's work. It's okay. It brings joy. I mean, they were great. Not just personality, but the preaching it was phenomenal. Every message was from the Lord. It was exactly what we needed. The spirit was great. I just, there was excitement in the services. I still feel it. The residual effects of it tonight. You come in, you're anticipating something. And folks, that's how it always ought to be when you come to church. I mean, when you come in, don't, I I know sometimes you come and you're tired and it's been a long week and you're dragging. Um, But listen, this should be a haven. This should be a place you come and you anticipate what God might do. I mean, I love it when, when it's time to start service. And just be honest, I love it when it's time to start service. And, and, I, and I almost have to tell people, stop fellowshipping. Stop talking, you know. Stop, you know, it's time to start. No, I think it's a good sign. When we come in, we're talking to each other and enjoying the fellowship. The spirit was great. The attendance was a blessing. And I, I have the numbers on my phone. But um, from Wednesday to Thursday, we had the same amount. From Thursday to Friday, we went, we increased in here. From, from Friday night to Sunday morning, we increased, even with a snowstorm. And then from Saturday, Sunday morning to Sunday night, in this room, we increased. So we stayed the same the first night, but we increased every other service. And, and I know numbers aren't everything, but I'm just saying, God bless you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being faithful. The response at every service was tremendous. I was listening to one of the messages again today and, and just the amens and the response and the altars were full and you were responsive during the preaching and that's always encouraging to a pastor and I'm thankful for that. Your generosity was evident with not just in missions, the admissions offering, but in the way you treated the missionaries. You, you fed them, you took them out to eat, you gave them gifts, you showered them with love, you ruined their diets. I mean... You, you were a blessing to the missionary, right, brother? I mean, ruined the diet. lots of diets were ruined last week. Many of you took, took part in the Faith Promise Missions commitment, and you took it seriously, and, and I'm hoping that the rest of the cards come in, because I, I know we haven't gotten them all, but I do know that some that, that some that hadn't been involved before are getting involved now. Others were able to maintain or increase their, um, their number, and some were led to step out by faith. And God's led you to give in a significant way, and I'm thankful for that. God has been good to us. 
There were some victories won. And I, I view last week like it was Jericho. It was a 45 to 2. But yesterday's victory doesn't guarantee today's success. See, usually when things are going well, there's a, tri- a trap game coming that we don't see. And we let our, our guard down and we get tripped up and we're thinking, all oh, things are good. So we relax a little bit. And that's exactly when Satan likes to strike. See, he's a roaring lion and he hates God and he hates God's people, especially when they're trying to accomplish something for the Lord. And you know what puts a target on Eastside Baptist Church's back is when he looks at September and he says five or six thousand dollars at the church planning conference. Huh. And then missions offering six thousand dollars to the missions offering and and the faith promise commitment. He's like, okay, you know what? It's time. It's time to focus because that church looks like they're about to do something really great for God. We got to make sure that we step in and try to, I can just imagine him and his minions. We got to make sure that we step in and do something to stop that work because they're about to do something for God. They've been enjoying too many victories. And as great as the victory was in Joshua 6, the failure in Joshua 7 was was equally notable. See, we're coming out of a time of spiritual victory, but if we're not careful, we will find ourselves quickly losing what we've enjoyed because we fail to understand the effort it takes to keep it. See, the children of Israel made some trap game mistakes that I'm praying that we avoid. Three trap game mistakes that I'm praying that we can avoid. And the first is they were ignorant of the presence of sin. See, verses 18 and 19 again. You know, he had, they'd been told, I've already read it, don't keep anything for yourself of the accursed thing. It'll make you accursed. But Achan kept it anyway. And we would never admit this, but sometimes we operate as if the Christian life is a balancing scale. It, see, meaning, what we think, and it, some people call it the halo effect. Maybe you've heard that before. Meaning you think, well, look how much good I've been doing lately. The halo, oh, the halo effect. Look how much good I've been doing. Look at how big the halo is. But, it, but when we start to, to focus on how much good we've been doing lately, we also have a tendency to justify the presence of sin because we're doing so well in so many areas. It's kind of like moral license. Maybe you've heard that before. I've been so good on my diet, I deserve to skip this exercise or enjoy those extra calories. But spiritually, it's, I've been going to church, this one bad habit, it's not that big of a deal. Because think about all that I'm doing on the other side. Or I'm reading my Bible, so what I watched before bed or what, doesn't matter that much. You know, I, I'm serving faithfully. So, you know, my Bible, God understands if I can't do it every day. I'm tired because I'm so busy for the Lord. And so he'll understand if I skip this or that spiritual license. Or I'm serving faithfully and I'm doing all these things. And so, you know, I don't think it's a, that big a deal if I don't give to missions. And I know Israel was ignorant of Achan's sin, but Joshua knew how God operated. See, Joshua may not have been willfully uh, or may not have been willingly um, diligent. No, Joshua wasn't willfully ignorant, but he was willfully not diligent. He was, he, was not, he was not focusing on the things he should have been. See, the truth is they enjoyed victory in Jericho because they were obedient they, listen, they enjoyed victory in Jericho because of their obedience. They did what God asked them to before the victory. 
I mean, every step along the way. So we bless them for it. See, folks, the key to victory and help from God is always obedience. And as soon, though, as sin was present, God removed his hand of blessing. And I believe that God has blessed Eastside and God wants to continue to bless Eastside. But his blessing is directly connected to our obedience. God viewed Israel as a unit. One person's sin uh, impacted the whole unit. And we could ride the wave as, as high as we want. But if we get lax in individual attitudes towards sin, it will hinder the whole unit. And you might say, well, they may, they, they're the ones that made the choice. and It wasn't me. And it's true. Every person will be judged for their own actions and for their own sins. But that doesn't mean that a person's actions won't affect the whole church body. Paul dealt with it in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'm not going to read all of that, but he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 5, Know ye not that a little, little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Sin in the life of one member. Folks, it affects the whole body. You don't sin just unto yourself. Now, I know you are responsible to stand before God for your sin, but your sin, your action, your decision to either be holy or not be, ho- not be holy doesn't just affect you, it affects a whole church body. And as a church body, God's blessings and victories and momentum, they are dependent on our choice to live holy lives. And I know that's not a popular thing to preach. And, and I'm preaching on a Wednesday night to people that were here all last week. And you're thinking, well, come on, where's the sugar stick? Just give us something we can, you know, just enjoy tonight. But, but I think it's probably time for us to hear after a big week like last week that it's not time to let our guard down. It's not time to say holiness is no big deal. Listen, God has great things in store for our church. I truly believe that. But one person's choice to let their guard down when it comes to sin could be what hinders his plans for this church body moving forward to be all that we're supposed to be. Revival is unpacking the truck. You know, you don't leave anything on the truck when you move. You you say, no, listen, we're here, we're here, we're all in, getting everything out of every corner of your life, surrendering everything to God, unpacking the truck, complete obedience. But all it takes is one person who even last week may have said, yeah, I unpacked the truck and I surrendered and I'm coming off this victory. But they decide, but you know, I kind of want this back in the truck. Yeah, I know I gave it to God, but, but man, it's a hard habit to kick and I, I need to get this back in the truck. And so they put it back in the truck and then a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. See, sin's a trap game mistake. And we overlook just how big one sin can be, but God sees everyone and he condemns every sin and the effectiveness of our church is affected by sin. So I'm imploring you, not on the basis just of personal holiness, which should be enough because Jesus Christ died for your sins. That should be enough for us to be holy before him. But I want you to consider though that your every action in the end affects a church body. It affects a church family. And I'm just gonna clear it off a little bit Uh, tonight we have some young people even in this room tonight who have chosen not to not to um, not to chase or or desire holiness in their lives and they said you know yeah God yeah I know this is the life and but I really want to do these things and even a young person can affect the work of God through a church body like ours 
And I'm afraid that we maybe are going to lose a generation of young people uh, because for some reason they think that holiness is not a very big deal to God, but it's everything to God. He is holy, 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 thrice holy. The God that we serve, the God who died for us, is thrice holy. And for us then to say, well, it's not very important for his followers, and yet he said in 1 Peter, be ye holy, for I am holy. And I'm afraid we've got some young people in this individualistic society who think, well, my decisions only affect me and my rights are the most important thing. And they have, they have, they have gone around holiness and affected a church's name, a church's testimony. And that little leaven is leavening the whole lump. And at some point it has to be removed. We have to be careful. Young people, you've got to be careful. God doesn't look at somebody who, who goes around holiness and discards holiness, the holiness of God and says, well, that's not very important for me. He wants you to be holy. You know, the children of Israel learn that sin limits success. And we can do and say all the right things, but until we confess every sin, we won't succeed. Sin's like a clog in the pipe that won't allow God's spirit to flow through and work through us. Sin is like uh, an invisible chain around our ankles that allows us to only go so far. We've made some good decisions for Christ lately, but we can't assume that activity overrides purity. It never does. See, the children of Israel went up to Ai, Ai and they were active and they were busy and they were doing big stuff, weren't they? But sin held them back. So don't overlook sin. It's a trap game mistake. Don't ignore, ignore it. Don't be ignorant. It affects you the most, but that little leaven in your life could affect the, the entire church body. And what, what if we miss out on what God desires us to be because of just a little leaven? See, one trap game mistake we should avoid is assuming success can overcome sin. It can't. It won't. God sees to it. So they had to make it right before going back and winning an AI. We know that to be the case, and we're not going to look at that tonight. But another trap game mistake to avoid is they equated size with strength. They, they, so they ignored, they were ignorant to the presence of sin. But the second mistake they made is they, they equated size with strength. See, they assumed that AI was weak because AI was small. But that's, not, that's never God's measurement. Ask, ask Goliath if David was weak because he was small. You know, ask, uh, ask the lions if Daniel was weak because he was smaller than them. Ask Nebuchadnezzar if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were weak because the fire and the flames were bigger than they are. No, it's never the way God works. I mean, you, you can't, I mean, he came as a, as a baby. He came in the flesh as a baby, the king of the universe. See, it's wrong, a wrong assumption to equate size with strength. It's not about size. It's about who's on your side. And Israel assumed they were stronger than Ai because they were bigger and they had already conquered this bigger, daunting enemy. But the small things are often what trip us up on the path to victory. It's the small things, usually. Ecclesiastes 10.1 says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. It's the little things that trip us up. The little things are what make or break us. Like Zechariah 4, I preached it on Mother's Day, our first service back uh, after coronavirus. It's despise not the day of small things. 
Embrace the small things now and enjoy the big things later. Don't despise it. It's positive, but it's also negative in that if we ignore the small things now, it will adversely affect the big things later. See, missions giving and missions commitments and newly found zeal, which we have, and I'm grateful for it. Those are great, but the small things are likely to keep us from following through, not the big things. Now think about a faith promise commitment, and we've made commitments by faith before, and you know what? It's, it's not usually some major financial trial or some major health issue that comes up in our lives or something big and catastrophic that prevents us from giving or having what we promise to give. It's usually because we don't have daily discipline not to spend money on the peripherals instead of giving them to, the God, to God. It's usually the small things that trip us up. And that usually the small things that will keep us from keeping our commitments. I mean, it's, it's usually just, well, I just missed one week because, you know, my budget was tight this week. But the next time it's a little easier. It's a small thing. I mean, I think about admissions. Maybe God spoke to you about telling others about Jesus Christ. And all it takes is being too busy or, or having somewhere to be and saying, well, I'll do it next time. And then that one small next time turns into a week, which turns into weeks, which turns into months, until it turns into us telling nobody. It usually starts with something small. About missions, you know, we heard from Brother Crabtree, take care of your stay, which is a great way to say it. I loved it. And if we compromise in one small area as a church, it always turns into something more. It always does. Small things stop big things. I mean, one untied shoelace. Seems pretty small, doesn't it? But it can be a pretty big disaster. One missed oil change. One failure to to yield on the road. Don't equate size with strength. Don't underestimate the strength of one tiny bad habit in your life, folks. And don't overestimate the strength of your walk with God. In fact, I'm invincible here. Don't underestimate the effect of one bad financial choice. Don't overestimate your ability to say no when you're tempted. See, don't equate size with strength. That's a, that's a mistake. It's a trap game. It will trap you. So things we need to avoid right after Jericho is we need to ignore the sin, or don't ignore the sin and don't overlook the small things. And third, uh, don't become self-dependent. See, they left the Lord out of this process here. Now, they, they were ignorant of sin. They over... They, they, uh, they wrongly measured what's small. They, they equated small with strength, and they, that's not accurate. And then they were trying to be self-dependent instead of depending on God. They left the Lord out of the process. They walked into AI with big heads, and they did it without consulting God. And Joshua, folks, Joshua knew God. He knew how detailed the Lord was in his guidance because just a chapter before. But we're not told anything about Joshua seeking God. He attempted to operate without God's help and his, without God's counsel and without God's influence. And I would say this is more a sin of omission than it was a sin of commission. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that Joshua was, was, was wrong, it, it, it just it, overtly wrong in doing this. But he did what we do sometimes and that he got used to the victory. And he thought, well, I've done this before and it's come easily before. And so I don't need as much help this next time. And that is a grave mistake. It's a proud mistake. 
He leaned on self-dependence and it backfired because it always does in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Here's why we need to do that because of another verse in Proverbs that says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's why we don't need to lean on our own understanding because our own understanding leads to destruction. That's what the Bible says. We think our way is best. It always ends in defeat, though. When they were following God's every instruction, uh, they enjoyed incredible victory. But when they bypassed God in the process, they experienced devastating defeat. And that's the whole point here is the same thing is true for us. When we lean on God's help in life, we enjoy victory. But when we lean on our own wisdom, we experience defeat. See, I believe Missions Revival was, as full, was us fully involving God in our processes. I, mean, I just, it was great. But after it's over, we might be tempted to go back to our old ways. Skipping our walk with God. Justifying not reading our Bibles or not taking our decisions to, to God in prayer. And after Jericho, after the success, after the victory, that's when we tend to slip a little bit. We tend to be less dependent on the Lord. Here's why. Because we think, well, Jericho is so big. These walls are so big. I need God's help for these walls. But, but once it's over, we operate as if we don't need God's help for today. So, yes, we look at the walls and we say, those are too big for me. I can't do anything about that. I need God's help. But after the victory comes, we tend to think, well, I don't need to be as dependent on God for today. There's not really anything big happening today. But listen, we need God as much in parents in our parenting every day as we do walking through some kind of major health trial. We need the Lord's help at work every day just as much as we do in a crisis. We, as a matter of fact, Colossians 2, 6, Paul wrote, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. See, you receive Christ by faith. And honestly, it was helpless faith. You, you, we needed God, uh, God to intervene in such a way. We needed complete trust and belief in, his, in Christ's finished work on the cross. We had nothing to help ourselves with to help us be saved. And Paul says in that verse, it's no different today. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. In the same way that you're wholly dependent and faith and, and helpless before God, that's how you ought to operate every day. We lean on God that heavily. Not just for salvation, but for how you interact with your co-workers. And how, parents, how you deal with your children and spouses, how you deal with each other. We, we, there is nothing too small for God's help. It's a trap game mistake to assume that we can do the Christian life by ourselves. It requires faith to make a commitment to missions. It, but the work's not done. I mean, last week it took faith and you said, I will step out by faith. As I've received Christ Jesus, my Lord, this is something big. I'm going to step out on faith. Um, but you need it just as much then this week when it's time to actually write the check as you did when you gave faith, had faith back then at the conference. Listen, the work's not done, it's just beginning. You need faith when it comes time to give on Sunday, just like you did when you committed. We must have God's help if we're going to continue to win spiritual victories. Just because we have a victory doesn't mean we leave him behind and we can do this on our own for a while. No, moving forward without God, it's like hunting without a gun and, or driving without gas. It's not going to work. We're in prime position 
folks, to experience a trip, a trap game. And I, I believe it's already been happening in some, in some ways. Things are already coming up that could get our eyes off of what God has done and what God wants to do. And we overlook this thing, this tripping hazard, this trap. It's buried in the snow and we don't see it and we're looking somewhere else and we're not diligent. We've let our guard down. We just, we just came from something great and we might tend to ignore the sin or overlook something small or be self-dependent. And if we do, you can guarantee as impressive as our victory in Jericho was, that's how devastating AI will be. So yesterday's victory doesn't guarantee, guarantee today's success. And it may have been 45 to 2 yesterday, but if we leave God out of the equation, we'll lose next time. So what trap game mistake is likely to trip you up? Is it ignoring a sin in your life? Is it overlooking something small that you think is not a big deal and it won't probably be a big deal? Just, just one little decision. Or maybe is it self-dependence apart from God, leaving him out of the process in your daily life? Because listen, this is where the rubber meets the road. It's not about the decisions last week. It's about what you do with that decision tomorrow when you wake up. And the next day. And there's a trap game coming, and I just hope you're ready for it. Satan very soon wants to get our eyes off of what God has done and, and, and get our focus on something that's of far lesser importance. And before we know it, we'll forget all the work and all the change and all the decisions made. And there's a trap game coming. And if we're ready for it, if we have our sins confessed and we, we don't overlook the small things and we are dependent on God, I can promise you the trap game won't be as devastating as it would if we're just walking around not looking for it. So I, I know this was a, maybe a heavy thought tonight. But as your pastor, I just want to warn you that after something good, sometimes something, something less good is coming. And if you will keep a short account with God, and if you will not overlook the small things and not assume the small things are no big deal, and then if you will not be self-dependent on a daily basis, then, then the trap game does not have to defeat us. And we can move forward as a church like I know he wants us to. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll have a verse of invitation. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.